0: There is a missiologist named um, Ed Stetzer. And he uh, a missiologist is a, is a type of theologian. He's someone who studies the the uh, mission of the church, what it is God uh, assigned to the church to do. Not the organization of the church, but the mission of the church. So he's called a missiologist. And um, besides, he works at uh, Whedon University now, and I don't know exactly the details of what he does. But he writes a column for CT Magazine, and in it he... Um, will routinely put the church sign of the day. The People will send in pictures of church signs, like the one we've got out there, and the clever sayings people put on them, and he'll post them. And I remember a couple of years ago, he posted one that said, this church is not filled with hypocrites. There's still room for you. <laughs> so, we laugh because we know that it's true. We know... Um, I mean, we we wouldn't dream of describing the people around us, but we know ourselves. We know that sometimes we are hypocrites, and um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, being hypocrites, and um, you're thinking, "This is a three-day weekend. I could have gone to the lake. I could have gone to the cabin, and I came to hear the pastor call me a hypocrite." So, <laughs> so I am I am sensitive to that fact, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, a friend of mine years ago, a woman named Karen who used to lead the Bible study I was part of, she she was talking about the way that one morning there had been kind of a, a basically usual Sunday morning, and she was driving to church and the kids were in the back and there was unhappiness and there was some, uh, some angry words being thrown back and forth from one end of the minivan to the other, but they pulled into the church parking lot Sunday morning and she turned around and she said, she said, Now put a smile on those faces because we're going to go into that building and learn all about the love of God. (laughs) And I think that's the kind of hypocrisy most of us can understand, right? We're kind of putting our best face on. You know, maybe we're dressing up in our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. We're kind of dressed a little better on Sundays than we do, than we do during the week. Um, maybe we carry a Bible. Some people carry a Bible to a church on Sunday and, um, that's the only time they ever handle it, right? That, but they've got it on Sunday and so it's kind of they're they're looking a little better in terms of being a Christian than maybe they do uh during the rest of the week but but it's kind of understandable kind of forgivable hypocrisy so we understand that but at the other end of the spectrum is the the televangelist right who is uh, taking money from uh, poor widows and orphans so that he can fly around in a Gulf stream right so so he's saying that this is very important to his ministry but we're saying you know you're really not living out the faith that you are calling other people to live out. So, so we understand that there's, there's this spectrum of hypocrisy, the, the understandable, just kind of trying to look a little better than you are hypocrisy. And then there's the, the conscious, deliberate hypocrisy or, or heaven forbid he actually believes that that's the right thing to do. The, the guy with the Gulf Stream or the, the other kind of uh, hypocrisy we're familiar with. So, what I want to do is I want to talk about hypocrisy because most of us uh, fall somewhere on that spectrum. We have we have uh, said the white lie. We've put on the happy face in the parking lot. We've dressed up a little nicer than we are. We acted like we liked someone at church when we really don't. Uh, there, there's ways we have acted like hypocrites even if we don't get a stream out of it. So most of us fall somewhere in this spectrum. Uh, the, the Methodist... Uh, uh, the, the one of the founders of Methodism was John Wesley. And he used to do this searching inventory every night before he went to bed. And he would ask himself, have I in any way made myself look better than I am? In other words, have I been a hypocrite? <laughs> and this is one of about 20 questions, very painful questions. And a couple of years ago, I was meeting with some Methodist pastors and I said, do you guys still do that? You asked those questions every day. Could no? Who who could stand asking those questions every night the way John Wesley did? So, I felt better about that. Um, but but at the same time, we do want to look a little better than we probably are. There's another Methodist, D.T. Niles. He was a Methodist leader in the church in Sri Lanka, uh, the little island nation south of India, and he said, if you asked him to summarize what Christianity was, he said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And we like the second part of that but we don't like the thought that I'm a beggar. So we try to look a little nicer than a beggar. We try and act a little nicer than a beggar. And that's that's where the hypocrisy starts. So what I want to do is talk, want to talk about hypocrisy today. Um, and I've got some good news. The first the first good news is this. Better Christians than you have been hypocrites. So you have you are in some great company if you're a hypocrite. So that's the that's the, the first bit of good news. But there's even better news, which is that God has provided a remedy for hypocrisy in the church. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got the scriptures, I want to be looking at Galatians 2. Um, uh, l- let me kind of uh, lay the groundwork or kind of set the scene where, where we're coming into. The past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatia is a region in modern day Turkey, the, the uh subcontinent of Asia Minor. So if you if you imagine instead of Turkey and Asia Minor, uh, imagine Alaska. Galatia is kind of everything from the Kenai north, maybe up as far as as um, as Fairbanks. Okay, so kind of the central section starting in the south and going a certain distance north. There's actually argument about uh, but the names changed over the centuries. So was was this part considered part of Galatia and so forth? But, but Paul is writing to some churches in that region, kind of the, the southern central part of um, modern-day Turkey. So he's writing a letter, but he's not he's not writing about something they know about. He's telling them about something that happened somewhere else. He's telling them about something that happened in Antioch. Antioch was kind of the home base of Paul. Paul and Barnabas did a lot of their work there. And Antioch was the third biggest city in the Roman, in the Roman world. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, which was a big city in Africa, and then there was Antioch, which was located in what is today Syria. So it was a big city and mostly Gentiles. There was some Jews there, um, but mostly it was Gentiles. So, so that's where he's coming from, and he's telling the Galatians something that happened in Antioch. And we would love to know more about uh, everything that happened, but but mostly when we're trying to figure out the history of the early church, we look at the book of Acts. And the problem there is that is that the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, has moved on. He's, he's been telling us about what's been going on with Peter, but now he's changed his focus, and now he's looking at what's been going on with with. Paul. So the best understanding of what was going on here is actually coming from this letter of Paul. That's why we're looking at this letter. So big intro, but that's where we pick things up. He says in chapter two of Galatians, Paul is talking about this time when he met with the leaders of the church. He says, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. So he says... They saw what I was doing among the Gentiles. They said, that's great. Keep it up. You know, we're, we're rooting for you. Uh, you know, you'll be in our prayers. Good luck with that. And then they said, uh, he says their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been easy to do. So, so far so good. But then he says this, he says, when Peter came to Antioch, now we don't have any record of that except in this letter. So, We Last week, for most of the past several weeks, we've been looking at the story of Peter. We've been looking at the way that Peter did this and that after the resurrection. But now Luke has moved on, and we don't have any record of that except what Paul tells us here. But we did see last week... Peter was traveling around, that the church was being persecuted in Jerusalem, and maybe because of that, maybe for some kind of a supervisory or oversight sort of reason, Peter is traveling around among the different churches to see what's going on there. So last week he was traveling in a town called Joppa, and he went from there to a town called Caesarea. This week he apparently went at some point to Antioch. So he went to Antioch, and when he got there, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. What did he do that was wrong? He says, well, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Now, we might think, well, that's what he did that was wrong. He ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Jews did not do that. We heard last week about how Paul said that 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 was a whole revelation he got, that it was even permitted to do that, that he had always been taught that, no, you don't do that. So um, he eats with the Gentile believers who are not circumcised. But he's doing that. So is that what he did that was wrong? No, Paul goes on. He says, afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Why? He was afraid of criticism from those who necess- insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So, uh, so the problem is, not that Peter is eating with Gentiles, the problem is that Peter was eating with Gentiles, and then he quit. Why did he quit? He quit because he was afraid of criticism. These people came from Jerusalem. They're called friends of James that when these friends of James came, um, they criticized him and said, you shouldn't be eating with the Gentiles. And so Peter stops. Now, we have to remember, we're only hearing one side of the story here. Peter may have had some reasons. Peter may have thought that this was the right thing to do. We don't know what the friends of James said. I read one commentary that said, remember, there's persecution going on in Jerusalem. And you're in a non-Jewish place now. You're in Antioch. Everybody's fine. You do what you want in Antioch. But when rumors get back to Jerusalem, this may reflect badly on Christians in Jerusalem. So you're actually causing trouble in Jerusalem without realizing it when you eat with Gentiles in in uh, Antioch. Maybe that's part of the reason. We don't know what Peter's side was. We don't know what the friends of James' side. All we've got is um, Paul's side. But Paul criticized him. He said, you were eating with the Gentiles and now you've quit. You've said I won't. I won't have fellowship with you until you go uh, the full full route and become a Jew. You submit to all the the Jewish laws up to and including circumcision. He says, and that was very wrong. He says it was so wrong, in part because other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what does Paul do? He says. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? So Paul says, the problem I've got with you, Peter, is not that you have chosen to exercise a scruple. A scruple is a word we don't use much, but a scruple is the idea that I shouldn't do that. If you've ever known someone who's got an addiction, they say, I shouldn't go into the bar because I ha- I suffer from alcoholism, and if I go in there, I know bad things will happen. Right? That's a scruple. He's not saying you shouldn't go. He's not saying it's intrinsically wrong to go into a bar. He's saying it's a bad idea for me to go into the bar. I couldn't do that in good conscience. It wouldn't be a good thing for me to do. So Paul is saying Peter didn't do that. Peter didn't say, I can't have fellowship with the the Gentiles, because I have always been a good Jew. He's saying Peter already had fellowship with them, and then he quit. He quit having fellowship with them. So uh, later on in the book of, or uh, elsewhere, in the book of Romans uh, chapter 14, Paul describes this at some length, how that, the difference between exercising a scruple and being a hypocrite plays out. So he he talks about that, and there's some questions in the program if you want to dig into that. But but um, but he says, I told him, you are a Jew, but you've quit living like a Jew. But now you're telling these Gentiles they should start. He says, that's your hypocrisy. Now again, we haven't heard Peter's response. right? Paul's writing this letter to a different church for a different reason. We don't know what Peter said. What we do know is that the church ultimately sided with Paul. That the, by the end of the first century, Christians had decided... Uh, collectively, the the wisdom of the church was that God didn't need people to become Jews in order to become Christians. That if you were a Jew, that was great, but if you were a Gentile, you could take the shortcut and just become a Christian. So that's where things landed um, after 2,000 years We've been, we've been following that pattern for 2,000 years. If none of you are Jews, if none of you are uh, observant of the whole Jewish law, then that's why. Because the, the par- practice of the church has been that Paul was right. And as we heard in the book of Acts, Peter and James said things along those lines as well. So that's where we come to. But what about this hypocrisy? Peter has been a hypocrite and that should give us some, some comfort. Because better people than you, better Christians than you have been hypocrites. If you've ever been a hypocrite for all the reasons we discussed before, you should realize you're not alone. Peter was a hypocrite. Peter was a hypocrite in a very serious matter. Um, and he was a hypocrite. You know, you know, Peter was a better Christian than anyone in this room. He's even better than me. Even me. You know, Peter had three years in a small group with Jesus. Peter saw the risen Lord Jesus face to face and had breakfast with him on the beach. If anybody should be a good Christian, it should be Peter. But Peter totally messed up here. Peter took the the hypocritical path in a place that was important. 2,000 years from now, nobody is going to know any of our names. But we remember Peter. Because he was a great Christian, and if a great Christian can be a hypocrite from time to time, that should give us confidence. So, if there is a a, a place that you are struggling and you're saying, "I should have done better than that. I shouldn't have been a hypocrite," or maybe some other uh, moral failing, you say, "I should, I should have done better." You know, give yourself some grace, because so should Peter, and Peter turned out okay. Uh, some, some traditions believe that Peter is the guy who you will meet when you go to heaven. He'll be the guy with the clipboard who says whether you get to come in or go out. So Peter turned out okay. He got to go to heaven and so will you. This is not about getting to go to heaven. This is about we all make mistakes. And if Peter can make a mistake so can you. And frankly, so can the people you're married to. So can your parents. So can your children. Okay? So let let yourself off the mat, but let them off the mat too. Okay, We all make mistakes. So that's the first bit of good news. But the second bit of good news is better. It is that God has provided a remedy for the hypocrisy in the church, and it is people like Paul. Paul had his own problems. Paul was kind of a hothead. If you read this letter, you can see Paul uh, says some things that that probably burnt some bridges, actually, with some people. Paul was a hothead, but Sometimes we need a hothead. We need somebody who will come to us and say, you know, you're being a bit of a hypocrite. And that's what Peter got. Now, there's a great thing to notice here. How did Paul do it? Did Paul send an uh, an anonymous note in the mail? No. Did he start a whispering campaign? Did he start a telephone tree? Did he tweet? (laughs) Did he post it on Facebook? No. Paul confronted him face to face. He said, you're being a hypocrite. Don't do that. And sometimes that's what we need. And the good news here is that when we need it, we're not alone. You know, the the downside of not being alone is that sometimes we lead other people astray. Sometimes there's a Barnabas around, right? And we're influencing them, which makes it all the more important that sometimes there's a Paul around who can influence us for the better. But the good news is there is a Paul. And we need to listen to them it's painful to hear somebody tell you you know you're being a hypocrite but it's important to listen to them when they are so the good news is there are uh, better better christians than you who have done worse things and we're in this together that there is a paul somewhere who can who can guide you back onto the right path when you when you fall astray so that's kind of the personal application there's one more application it's a corporate application Because what Peter did is incredibly easy for a church to do. It's incredibly easy for any Christian to do. And it is to say, I go to church every Sunday and I see these people. I know their needs. I know their desires. I know how to help them. I know how to be in relationship with them. And I'm going to weigh their needs and desires more heavily than the needs and the desires of the people outside. Peter weighed the insiders, the friends of James, more heavily than the Gentiles. He didn't know the Gentiles or didn't know them as well. And so Peter said, I care more about these people here, my church buddies, than I care about the people outside. And Paul said, you can't do that. See, God knows everybody's needs and desires. God's heart bleeds for everyone. And you can't pick a subset of that and say, these people are important. And so I'm going to really do all I can to help them. And, you know, good luck. If they can somehow fit in around the edges, that's great. But otherwise, you know, these are the people I care the most about. What Peter did is so understandable. It's so easy to put ourselves in that place because we know the people we see every Sunday. But Paul says, be careful. By doing that, we not only insult the outsiders, but we lead our fellow Christians astray. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's let ourselves off the mat because we know sometimes we are going to be hypocrites. Maybe it's in an easy, small, harmless way, and maybe it's in a very important way. But when we do, remember, there are better Christians than us who have been hypocrites. But then let's heed the advice of people who call our attention to it. Let's not be hypocrites forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that... um, that you see our folly and our our error, and you love us anyway. That you take someone like Peter, who is so easy to to um, his 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 positive features and his flaws are both so big. It's so easy to see them in him, and so hard to see them in the mirror. And yet, Lord, uh, we are told that. Um, that he was such a great leader in the church. We see, uh, even today, there are buildings and churches and cities named for him. We pray that um, if we make smaller errors, may we may we be as um, as quick to correct them. And um, and Lord, we pray that by your grace we will become better and better Christians, just as he was. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.